You're listening to a sermon audio from Cypress Church. You can listen to more sermons on our website or by subscribing to our podcast on iTunes. We hope you enjoy the sermon and invite you to attend one of our services at 9 and 10.30 a.m. on Sunday mornings. Welcome, Cypress Church, and happy Father's Day. Uh, Anybody in the house this morning that has a father? That should be unanimous, hopefully. Anybody in the house that actually is a father or grandfather? We salute you. We do. We do. Hey, being a dad is no joke. It is not an easy job. It really isn't. You are a a teacher, a counselor, a coach, a referee, a financial advisor, a security guard, all in one. Wear a lot of hats. And so today is your day we honor you. And I'm going to do the best I can to get you out of here at a decent hour because I am keenly aware that the U.S. Open last round is on about noon today. So do not be discouraged. Uh, I'm Steve Ellis, in case you're wondering. Pastor Mike is not here this morning. His eyes are still bothering him, so keep him in your prayers, if you would. Um, My wife and I have uh, been attending this church now for a little over 20 years, and um, as a result of last week's business meeting... I will be rejoining the Elder Board starting next month. So thank you to all of you who affirmed me. Um, I believe I ran a decent and honest campaign. (laughs) There was was absolutely no collusion with any foreign government. Uh, If you heard something like that, that's all fake news, okay? But um, I am privileged to be a father four times over. My uh, wife and I raised four kids in this community, two boys, two girls, and all of them have stayed out of prison. We're, we're pretty excited about that. There, there were some close calls, honestly, but they are now all grown, successful, productive adults, having children of their own. As a matter of fact, last time I was up here, we had five grandchildren. Number six was on the way. Well, there he is. Little Luca Vreeland, born May 24th, to my oldest daughter, Lauren. So now there are six, and we have just learned number seven is scheduled to arrive this December. Does it ever stop? Um, You know, obviously, my wife and I are well on the other side of raising our family. But if you're here this morning and you're still in the midst of that parenthood experience, if you're still in the kitty grinder... I just, I want to encourage you this morning. It is the, the most important, the most rewarding, and yet the most challenging, the most all-consuming thing you will ever do. When you are a parent, you are on the job 24-7. You don't get any vacations. Parenthood is exhausting. They don't stay like that for very long, you know. Before you know it, it's, it's more like this, Right? Yeah. Somebody said once that having, uh, raising a family is like building a bowling alley inside your head. You know, there's a lot of truth to that statement. When my wife and I got the last of our kids married and through college and out of the house, I just, I breathed a big sigh of relief and I said to her, I feel like I've been paroled. You know, you, you will get your life back. I promise you. But in the meantime, in the meantime, savor those moments even the crazy ones, because before you know it, you blink and they're gone. 
Hey, we are um, finishing up our series this week on the beauty in our perfectly normal, crazy, awkward family, an apt description for many of us. And we'll be looking at a a number of scriptures this morning. Um, But if you don't have a Bible with you and you'd like to follow along, the ushers will be coming down the aisles. Just slip your hand up. They will give you a loner, and you can just leave it on the chair uh, at the end of the service. You know, dads sometimes get a bad rap these days. They do, and, and that's unfortunate. It didn't used to be that way. I mean, not so many years ago, fathers held a place of high esteem in our culture. Guys, you remember that? Father knows best. Yeah, that's the way it's supposed to be, right? But somewhere along the way, and I don't know exactly where, it started to go off the rails a little bit, and, and now it's more like this. Father knows diddly squat, right? I mean, too often in modern culture and media today, dads are portrayed as, you know, clueless dolts. Duh. I mean, you even hear phrases thrown around like toxic masculinity, whatever that is. Men, don't let anybody ever tell you you are toxic. May I remind you, you are created in the image of God. Create in the image of God. Just let that sink in for a second. That's an incredible statement when you think about it. Create in the image of God. So is your wife, by the way, so don't get too excited. (laughs) Both sides emphasizing different aspects of God's character. Equipped by God for different roles. The scriptures repeatedly instruct us that we are to honor our fathers and our mothers. In multiple places in the scripture we are told that we are to shower them with respect. It even made God's top ten list. In uh, Exodus chapter 20, it was written on those stone tablets that Moses brought down from Mount Sinai. Fatherhood is a high calling. It is, and not one to be taken lightly. The father is the one to lead his family, to set the tone to guide them in the precepts of Scripture so that according to Deuteronomy 6.2, he and his sons and his grandsons and his great-grandsons will walk in the ways of God and pursue righteousness. It's not an easy task. It's a tall order. But when pursued diligently and earnestly, it is one, I believe, that will reap great dividends. Not just for our own family, but for generations to come. Look at what Solomon says in the beginning of Proverbs chapter 4. Listen, my son, to a father's instruction. Pay attention and gain understanding. I give you sound learning, so do not forsake my teaching. For I, too, was a son to my father. Then he taught me and he said to me, Take hold of my words with all your heart. Keep my commands and you will live. Gain wisdom and understanding. Do not forget my words or turn away from them. What's going on here? Solomon is passing it on. He is taking the wisdom and the the words of advice he learned from his own father, and he is now conveying them to his own son. Some of us have experienced that very thing in our own family. You had godly grandparents a godly grandfather and and an attentive dad who 
loved the Lord and sought to lead according to his word. Others of us, maybe not so much. Some of us had to look outside our own immediate family for an example, a good example of fatherhood, maybe in a, in a more distant relative or maybe a Sunday school teacher or um, perhaps a scout leader. But whatever our own personal family experience, dads, grandpas, we have the opportunity and the responsibility to lead well and to declare like Joshua, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Personally, I, I never really got the chance to know my dad very well. In his younger days, he was a bit of a philanderer. And my parents' marriage dissolved when I was five years old as a result of one of his indiscretions. Um, I was too young, really, at the time to understand everything that was going on. I just remember being very unsettled and confused. You know, why isn't daddy ever home? I remember one time I'm standing behind my mom. She's at the front door of our house, and my dad is on the porch facing her, and she's begging him to stay. And I'm looking up at them. On days that he was scheduled to visit, my older brother and I would sit by the front window hoping that every car that came down the street was him. And I wanted to be with my dad. Sometimes he would show. Sometimes he wouldn't. But to their credit, you know, I never once heard my mother speak ill of my father. Never once heard my father speak ill of my mother. I was fortunate in that regard. And despite it all, I love my dad with all my heart. I, um, I spent the last day of his life with him. My wife and I had traveled to Arizona where he lived for a visit, and we were heading up to a little cabin in the mountains northeast of Phoenix on a drizzly Sunday afternoon when an 18-year-old came around the corner going a little too fast and lost control, went into a spin and hit his head on. That was before seatbelt laws. And uh, I listened to my dad take his last gasp for breath behind the wheel of that mangled Ford Thunderbird after the steering column broke his ribcage apart and sent two of them through the top of his heart. And then all that's left are the memories. Old Spice. That, that does it for me. That was my dad's cologne. And to this day, if I get a whiff of Old Spice, I can see him in my mind's eye, standing before the bathroom mirror, feel the burr of his whiskers on his face before he shaved in the morning. You know, last time I was up here, I told you that I had turned 60 back in February. Not that I'm obsessing over it or anything, but, um, <laughs> you know, it, it did get me thinking. Because the reality is, sooner than I'd like to admit it, I will be to my children what my father is to me. A memory. A few photographs in an album, maybe some posts on Facebook, a few minutes on videotape, and then just whatever else I've managed to impart upon their hearts in the short time we've spent together. And it is brief. The scripture tells us that our lives have all the permanence of a mist, a vapor, according to James 4.14. 
Psalms 39.5 says, Surely every man at his best is a mere breath. So I ask this question. How do you want to be remembered? What kind of legacy will you leave behind? When somebody says the word dad to my kids after I'm gone, what kind of images will pop into their heads? I don't know if you think about that, but I think we should. Because I do believe the overarching goal for every dad, indeed for every man, father or not, should be to live in such a way that his family, that his children see a reflection, albeit imperfect, but a reflection of what their heavenly father is like. His strength and tenderness. His correction and mercy. His boundless love and patient guidance. There's a lot that goes into it, as we saw in that video. And it's not easy. But this morning, I'd I'd like to share with you just three characteristics that I believe the Scripture tells us are hallmarks of a father who leads well. Number one, a good father, I believe, models unconditional love. If we are to be a reflection of our Heavenly Father, I believe we have to start right here, because God is love. 1 John 4.8 Unconditional love says, I love you no matter what. Unconditional love says, I love you in spite of, not because of. We couldn't get a better word picture of what that looks like than what the Apostle Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. And you've heard the passage before, I know, but it's worth going over. Love is patient. You can fill in dad. Father is patient instead of the word love. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking, not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Your heavenly Father always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. And guys, there is no better place to start than with your wife. I don't know who said it first. It's been attributed to John Wooden, James Dobson, the Reverend Theodore Hesburgh, and others. But the single greatest thing a dad can do for his children is to love their mother. There is so much truth in those words. By our actions, we teach our sons how to treat a woman. By our actions, an example, we show our daughters how they should expect a man to treat them. Ephesians 5.25 Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church, and gave himself up for her. This is not a suggestion. It is a command. Guys, if we are going to reflect the Heavenly Father inside our family, we are to love without reservation, no matter what. Now, guys will debate this. You know, I'm not going to be some doormat. 
And besides, a relationship is a two-way street, right? I mean, there's give and take. Mm, Yeah, but that's not what it says here. It does not say, husbands, love your wives as long as they treat you right. It does not say, husbands, love your wives as long as they don't nag you. It says, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for them. He emptied himself, according to Philippians 2, and became the servant. I mean, think of your relationship with the Lord. As it has seasoned, as it has matured, it has become much more interactive. There is a relationship there, but it didn't start out that way. It didn't start out that way at all. As a matter of fact, the Scripture tells us that God loved us when we wanted nothing to do with Him. Romans 5.8 While we were yet sinners... Christ died for us. That's unconditional love. And that's the model that God has put before us as men. Men, love your women. And keep at it. It's not a one-time thing. It's not like you can say, well, I said I do. What else do you need to know? No, no. You know, I mean, um, many of you have probably read the book, Love and Respect, right? And, and I really do believe that God gives this command to the man to love his wife unconditionally because that is, as God created her, her primary need, to be valued, to be cherished, and she needs to be reminded. Because you can give your wife a kiss in the morning and tell her you love her. You can send her a little text message in the middle of the day and tell her you're thinking about her. You can buy some flowers and bring them home. Then you'll be sitting in bed watching Seinfeld reruns or something. We'll keep this a family show. And, you know, she'll look over at you with those dreamy eyes and she'll say, Honey, do you still love me? And you'll be like, uh, uh, I thought I filled that bucket up. No, 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 no. That bucket leaks. Guys, there's a hole in that bucket and you are never done. So just keep pouring. Just keep filling it up. Just keep reminding her, just keep loving unconditionally, modeling God's love. You know, the Scripture does have something to say to your wife, but that's a different sermon. We'll let uh, Susan Peterson or somebody give that one. Right? <laughs> Number two, I believe a good father strives to encourage. Consider what Paul says in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. He's talking to the Thessalonians here about his recent missionary journey to their city, and he says something interesting about what it means to be a good father in verses 11 and 12. Paul says to them, we had a ministry among you, much like a good father has with his children. We exhorted and encouraged you. We didn't belittle or dishearten you. We comforted you. We didn't aggravate or demean you. We implored and we urged you. We didn't badger or, or nag you. It is, it is often far too easy for us to focus on the negative. We're often too quick to criticize and too slow to praise. We, we do, as it's human nature, we tend to focus too much on shortcomings, even when we don't mean to. I mean, this, this was driven home to me as a young father. 
My wife and I raised our kids at Grace Christian School, where we picnicked uh, at the business meeting. They were at a different location then, but um, elementary school, we, we put them through Christian school, and they would have a chapel every Friday uh, presentation. And, and at Christmas, they'd do a, a Christmas pageant and an Easter and Easter pageant, and the kids would sing and music and participation. And um, my oldest daughter, Lauren, she was, I don't know, kindergarten or first grade, and her class was putting on the Christmas show, and she had a speaking part one of maybe five or six kids that were going to come up to the microphone. It was like one line, you know. And the angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone round about them. So my wife and I were like, oh, great, Lauren, you got a speaking part. That's great. So, you know, show us. How, how are you going to say it? The angel of the Lord appeared to them, the glory of the Lord shone round about them. And I'm like, no, 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 no. This is, you know, this is a moment. You know, this is a big deal. The, the, she's five years old. The, glo- the angel of the Lord appeared to them, and, and, you know, the glory of the Lord showed round about them. You need to emote and, and slow down, take some time with it. You know, it's a, this is a big moment, right? She's five years old. And so, you know, we rehearsed, and we went over it and over it, and she started to come out of her shell, and she was, yeah, really getting into it. And I'm thinking, all right, we got this. And, of course, you know what happens. You know, the day of the pageant comes, and the lights are on, and all the people are in the stands, and, you know, it's her turn. She walks up to the mic. The angel of the Lord appeared to them, the glory of the Lord shone around about them. And I'm like, oh, all that work. And at the end of the performance, you know, the families were gathering together, the kids came out, and my little girl comes out with a big smile on her face, eyes wide, and I swear I tried to keep it from coming out. But as God is my witness, the first thing I said to her was, honey, you said your line so fast we could hardly hear you. And I watched as right before my eyes, my little girl's countenance just melted away as she realized she disappointed her dad. Now, you know, I'm not one of these parents who thinks that every kid should get a trophy just for participating, okay? That's not me, and that's not real life. But truthfully, the world will beat your children up enough. We do not need to get in on that party. Yes, we need to discipline our children. Yes, we need to correct them. But dads, we need to do it in a way that bends their will without breaking their spirit. It's a fine line we walk, I realize, but it's important because Scripture teaches and experience confirms that nothing demoralizes a child or devastates self-esteem as much as a critical father. Colossians 3.21, fathers do not exasperate your children, that they may lose heart. What exasperates a child? What frustrates a child? The sense that they'll never measure up. That no matter what they do, they'll never be quite good enough. Nothing saps motivation like an over-expectant father. Dads, our words are powerful in little hearts. They really are. More than we realize sometimes. I hope that my children remember me as a dad that was on their team, 
not on their backs. Last, I believe the scripture teaches us a good father leads by example. You know, one of the ironic things as a parent is that the thing you want most for your children, you can't give them. I mean, you can uh, feed them, you can teach them, you can put a roof over their head, but faith in God, they've got to find that by themselves. But you can show the way. You can lead by example. And this is a learning experience, man. We, we don't have to be perfect. We're not. Nobody had a perfect father. None of us are the perfect father. But God is able to work within our imperfections when we trust him and turn it over to him and follow his precepts and use the scripture as our guide. Consider the story of Abraham. Now, there's a father figure for you, right? I mean, Abraham is widely considered to be the father of our faith. He even has a song, Father Abraham. Anyone know that? Father Abraham had many sons. Did any of you sing that song? Do they, do they still have that in Sunday school? No? Is it more now like, uh, Father Abraham, you the man, following the Lord as best you can. Is, is that what it is now? We should get Jonathan up here. He can probably break it down for us, right? I mean, Abraham, he's, he's on the wall of fame in Hebrews chapter 11, right? We, we think of Abraham, we think great faith. But when you actually read his story, and Pastor Kerry took us through the, those chapters in Genesis just a few weeks ago. I mean, his story is a mix, is it not? I mean, some tests he passes sort of. Other tests, he fails miserably, even hiding behind his wife like a chicken, you know. Don't hurt me. She's my sister. Now, ladies, I ask you, could you respect a man who jumps behind you in times of danger? Sarah, how does she do it? There's a story there. I mean, Sarah is so commended in the New Testament. First Peter 3, 6, you are her daughters if you do what is right and don't give in to your fears. Think she had fears? Married to that guy. And then there's just that, that mess in chapter 16. You know, Sarah comes to Abraham with a test, right? I, guys, lots of tests come to us through our spouse. They do. Every man in this room, at some point in his life, is going to face this question. Honey, do, do I look good in this? Does, does this dress make me look fat? Now, guys, if you've not prepared yourself, if you've not trained for that question, you can blow it hugely as a husband. All you really got to do is hesitate in your answer, and you're a dead man, right? <laughs> Chapter 16, Sarah comes to Abraham with a test. No promised son has come, Abraham. I don't know, maybe it's me. Maybe, maybe I'm the problem here. You know, another year's gone by. Nothing's happening. You know, there's my handmaiden over here. Maybe, maybe she could be a surrogate. Maybe you should impregnate her. Maybe that's how God wants to do this. 
You know, I have, uh, over the years, I've actually at times heard pastors get up and try to defend what Abraham does in that situation. This, you know, no, 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 no. I mean, I, you know, they'll say, well, you know, I mean, in that culture, it wasn't unusual for a man to have more than one wife, and, uh, you know, it was Sarah's idea after all. Just stop. I know traditions change, cultures change, but as God created a man and a woman, the spirit of a man, the heart of a woman, that hasn't changed. Is there a single lady in this room that believes for one second that's actually what Sarah wanted to have happen? All you ladies know better than that. And you guys should too. Was that not a test? Was that not an opportunity for Abraham to do something really great? Show a little leadership. Sarah, what are you talking about? Get that thought out of your head. God gave this promise to you and me. You are going to bear the son of promise. We're in this together. It's you and me or not at all. Is that what Abraham said? No, nah, I didn't say anything like that. He was like, um, oh, uh, you mean uh, Hagar? Oh, well, yeah, I, I mean, it's not like I hadn't noticed her, but I mean, like, I mean, really? Uh, okay. And just makes a mess. Because he just heard what he wanted to hear and didn't listen to her heart. And afterwards she says, you know, the Lord judged between you and me. But life is Messy, isn't it? It is. I mean, that's why I love the Word of God. It is so honest. It is the raw, unvarnished truth. It's not sugar-coated. It's not some Hollywood happy ever after script. It's just real life. It meets us where we are. But to Abraham's credit, there is yet another test. Genesis chapter 22. This is the seminal moment of Abraham's life. It is what he will be remembered for throughout history. Genesis chapter 22, verses 1 and 2 say that after these things, God did test Abraham. He said, Abraham, you take your son, your only son, Isaac, whom thou lovest, and offer him as a sacrifice on one of the mountains I will show you. You know, it's interesting. God doesn't even acknowledge Ishmael here. Do you notice that? I mean, didn't Abraham father a son through Hagar, chapter 16? Yeah. But he's not the son of promise. And in the same way, God doesn't acknowledge our own failed attempts to take things into our own hands and try to make something happen. It's like they're not even there. And did you know that this is the very first time the word love appears in the Scripture. You know, you'll hear theologians and scholars talk about the law of first mention. I mean, so much love in this book. But the very first time the word appears is right here in the context of a father's love for his only son. Sound familiar? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. That's unconditional love. 
For by grace you are saved through faith. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Unconditional love. And Abraham, by faith, obeys and acts out prophetically, foreshadowing the greatest act of love in the universe that God himself would demonstrate four centuries later on that very same hill. And I love what God says of Abraham in chapter 18. Despite all of his shortcomings, despite all of his failures, the Lord says, I know this guy. I know Abraham. He's going to learn to lead eventually. And he will command his sons and his household after him to keep the way of the Lord by doing righteousness and justice. What a testimony. But we cannot do it in our own strength. John 15, 5, apart from him, we can do nothing. But with his help, with his guidance, any wound can be healed. Any heart can be made new. Any any failure set right. With his help, we can model unconditional love. We can be a voice of encouragement inside our families, and we can learn to lead well. Happy Father's Day. Let's pray. Father God, we just, um, we pray for our families. Lord, we ask that you would build a hedge of protection around them. Lord, that you would incline the hearts of our children to your word, that they would pursue good and flee from evil. Lord, help us to prepare the soil of their hearts. And Lord, I I, I pray for those for whose experience this day is a difficult day, who maybe did not have the best of examples in their life that maybe experienced rejection and abandonment, Lord, that they would look to you, for you are a good, good Father. Father, we just ask that you would honor fathers today, help us to lift them up. We pray this thing for our blessing, your glory, in your name. Amen.